Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. All right, so thank you for tuning in to Chomping the Bit. I'm Kyle Edwards, of course. Now, I know that it's uh, been a few days since I did an episode. Got tied up with some stuff last week, so quick explanation there. Uh, this week should be back to a normal, normalish week where I, you know, give you about four, well, at least three to four episodes this week. More, probably close to four to five. Uh, so, like I said, should be a normal week this week. Uh, last week, like I said, got tied up with stuff. So, this episode, I'm going to talk about NBA. More specifically, I want to talk about the Celtics-Nets game that happened on Sunday. You know, give you some quick observations and then talk about some other things around the NBA that I'm noticing because we are down to, I was like, around 15 games left in this season. So now it's really in sprint mode for the regular season. So I'm going to take a quick look at the standings, see top six in the East and West, how that's looking. And then the playing teams and all that. So basically, you know, just going to look around, give some quick basketball thoughts. And then, yeah, that'll be it for the episode. So uh, hopefully stay, stay with me. You know, I don't jump around too much. But um, like I said, I'm going to start with the Celtics Nets game. I think it's a great place to start with my basketball thoughts. So I watched the game. And I mean, I watch a lot of Celtics games because I told you I'm a big Celtics fan and I already knew what was going on with them because since January 1st, they have really turned it on and have played much better than they did earlier in the season. And if you follow me on Twitter, I've been saying all year that, yes, the early start to the year, it wasn't fun to watch, but I kept trying to say it's part of a process bringing a new coach that means you have to give it time for the new voice to settle in with the players and as we've seen as of january emay and his staff have gone through to the players and they're playing like the team that a lot of people thought they were at the beginning of the year so um it was a great back and forth between boston and brooklyn this is the second time back-to-back games because Thursday was the game against Memphis where Celtics fans got to see John Morant for the first time this year and he put on a show it was a struggle for him but that was attributed to the Celtics defense they really sagged in on him and forced him to shoot from the perimeter and I was watching that game and I was and I realized that you know John Morant reminds me reminds me of Derrick Rose because remember, Derrick Rose came to the league. You get him going downhill, get to the hoop. He finishes better than almost anybody. 
John Morant plays the same way. But the Achilles heel to both guys was their perimeter game. Now, I would say that I'd probably give John Morant a... I'd probably give John Morant the check mark in terms of perimeter games at this point in their careers because Derrick Rose, like I said, you you forced him to shoot the three and he really struggled. Now, give Derrick Rose credit. He's definitely gotten better at it as he's gotten older. And as I said before, you know, that's a real testament to him because we do see some guys who, with that type of play style, as they get older and their athleticism, you know, diminishes a little, whether because of age or injuries, they kind of struggle to hang on in the league. But Derrick Rose has really done a great job. So, yes, it's great to see Memphis, you know, doing their thing. Top uh, four seed in the West. They're at three right now. But I, I do think if Memphis is going to take the next step and be – you know, a finals contender, championship contender. I think John Morant's going to have to develop a more consistent perimeter game. Because, like I said, he can't shoot from out there. He's real streaky with it. So I think if he can build enough confidence in it, he'll be fine. But, um, so we saw that. Boston pulled that win out. And a lot of Celtics fans are like, okay, that was a good win. But let's see Sunday against Brooklyn. Because even though they had much better play since January, there are still some Celtics fans that are skeptical of the team. So, Sunday, big matchup, 1 o'clock. You know, ABC game and all that. So, all eyes are on Boston. And once again, it turned into a showdown between Tatum and Durant in this case. And I, I will actually say that for the first time in a while I think that the Tatum that we saw against Brooklyn was the Tatum that uh, some of the skeptics of you know Jason Tatum really wanted to see you know he played with a lot of emotion he took the challenge of guarding Durant key moments actually you know most of the game when Durant was on the floor and he was on the floor Tatum was I think guarding him at least at the initial point of attack on defense because like most teams in the league you know you run screens and all that to set up matchups so Brooklyn would try to screen Tatum off of Durant to get you know a big man on him or you know point or something like that a guy that he can either athletically get around or just physically shoot over so so yeah they went back and forth uh, Nets had a lead late in the third, but in the fourth quarter, Tatum took it to another level where it got to the point where he's unstoppable. I mean, he was killing the Nets from uh, three point range, mid range, post up, driving to the basket, uh, playmaking. He, you know, made some key, uh, he had some key assists and hockey assists, which, if you don't know what a hockey assist is, it's you making a pass that sets up an assist. So, you know, uh, well, the key moment was late in the game. I believe it was a three-point game. Uh, and they were late in the shot clock, like under five seconds. Tatum, you know, drew two defenders, kicked it to Marcus Smart, 
Marcus Smart to his right on the wing who drew the defender from the corner. He kicked it over to Jalen Brown, up faked the defender running at him, and then hit a key three, which put him up six, which ultimately settled the the game. So, so now the question coming out of the game was, you know, is Tatum top ten, top five? Where do you put him in the hierarchy of the NBA? And I thought that was an interesting question. So for me, looking at it. I was thinking, you know, which players can you automatically say are probably better than Tatum right now? So if I'm looking in the East, I would say, I guess we'll say we'll put the people in the conversation right now for your top 10. I would go, I guess, Embiid, Giannis, um, Durant, um, I'll put Harden for now. Like I said, I'm not the biggest Harden guy, but I understand. So I'll put Harden for now as placeholders. Um, I, I mean, some would say Kyrie. Once again, not the biggest on Kyrie. Side note. Kyrie Irving. He, here's the frustrating thing with him. So in the game, he didn't. He wasn't as big of a factor as I'm sure he thought he was going to be, or Brooklyn thought he was going to be. He struggled, and the fans let him know it, which he should have expected because of what happened when he was in Boston. But just like he did last time he was there with the whole bottle incident, which I talked about a while ago. I'm not going to rehash that because whatever but uh, late in the game Jalen Brown was on the free throw line and the Celtics fans started chanting Kyrie sucks Tatum told him to quiet down because you know Jalen Brown was on the free throw line and to me I thought it was because finishing out the game more important than you know letting Kyrie how you know how you feel they spent the whole game booing Kyrie every time he had the ball so it was already known how the fans felt towards him. So Kyrie goes after the game and starts talking about how, you know, Celtics fans are scoring lovers, waiting for a phone call or whatever crap he put it to. Clearly, from the way that he answered the question, Celtics fans are in his head somewhat. They're occupying some space in his mind. Because I don't know what this phone call he thinks Celtics fans are waiting for, but Celtics fans have moved on from him. And it's obvious to him. If he hasn't figured that out from the last two times he's been there, then he might be more delusional than some may think. So, so yeah. And not like Kyrie left Boston and, you know, had all this wild success. His time in Brooklyn has been kind of seen as a disaster at this point. So, it is what it is. And another side note. It's interesting that for a guy in Kyrie who left Cleveland because he wanted his own team, hasn't actually had his own team anywhere because he went to Boston. You know, going into Boston, it was it was the plan was for it to be his team, but then he, you know, got hurt, 
And Tatum and Brown really got it going, which hurt Kyrie's feelings, which you could which you saw when they were making their playoff run. Kyrie wasn't around a lot. Especially the big game seven. Uh was that the Eastern Conference Finals, I think? And or the second round, something like that. But big game seven. And then Kyrie like elected to have some random surgery instead of showing up. So I mean at that point Celtics fans were really done with him. But you know, it is what it is. And now he's in Brooklyn, where he's not the main guy because he was number three behind Durant and Durant and um Harden. Now he's number two behind Durant. So he's has he still has not had his own team. Or at least had his own team and had success with them. So just want to say that real quick. But yeah, so uh quickly again, Embiid, Giannis, Durant, um Harden. Like I said, for argument's sake, I guess Kyrie and some people say Trey Young once again. I'm not that high on Trey Young as others are. So let's say that's six right now. West, you have John Morant, Luka, uh, Jokic, um, Steph, Booker, Chris Paul, that's 12 names right there, Um, like I said, your Trey Young, Kyrie, I think those are two sketchy names there, and even Harden, so, you know, based off the game from Sunday, and the improved play by the Celtics, like I said, depending on how you lay out your top 10, I find it hard to not put you know, Tatum up there right now. But not saying that he's top five or anything. I think he would probably be. Well, I can hear the argument for, you know, like eight through 11, 12, maybe. I, I, could, I could listen to that argument. But either way, I think this was a game that really put him... Yo, really propelled him in a lot of Celtics fans' eyes as well as nationally. And I think if he can keep this up for the rest of the year, that the Celtics will be will probably be a top four team in the East. Because something else that I'm noticing. Um Cleveland and Chicago, who after having such a great year for the most part all year, have sort of hit some tough times lately. And now only because we're kind of running out of games here, they'll probably still find their way in the top six. But if there was a team, because a lot of people are looking at Brooklyn when Ben Simmons gets there, whenever that is, which I'll talk talk about in a little bit here, you know, you figure Brooklyn is not a play in type of team. I just think that Brooklyn is run out of time. So they're going to be stuck in the play. But, um, Chicago and Cleveland are starting to drop a little. So, Celtics are in five right now, or fifth seed right now. 
So there's a team that needs to fall out of the top four, and I think Chicago is the most likely candidate. I do think Boston ends up in the top four by the end of the year. Now, they do have a tough schedule for the rest of the way, so they're going to need to continue to play the way that they are right now if they want a top four seed in the East. And um, it's going to be a crazy race, you know, down to the wire here. And the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be must-watch TV because between Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, uh, I think Chicago, if they get their pieces back, Cleveland, there's some inexperience there. So I think I leave them out of the conversation right now, but those top five, You're kind of splitting hairs. Now, the tiers, to me, I think Milwaukee, only because of the reigning champion, you don't really see too much of a drop-off in their play from last year, so you have to put them up there. Uh, Embiid and Harden look like they're working right now, but we'll have to see because these are two guys who have had several shortcomings in the playoffs. It's not their team together. We'll see what that looks like. But based on the talent, you want to put those two in probably your A tier for the East? Okay. But that next level, you're talking about Miami, Chicago, and Boston. I would put Miami and Boston towards the top of that tier with Chicago being a drop-off of a little bit between them. And looking at Miami, yes, they're at the top of the conference right now, but Looking at it as a Boston fan, I'm not like I know playing against Miami is going to be tough because they're deep and all that, but not like you're going into that matchup afraid to play Miami because Butler still has his issues of scoring on the perimeter and too many times for me he's still I don't know I don't know what it is like he waits too long to try to get involved in the offense. And it works sometimes, but other times it just doesn't. And they end up losing games that they probably shouldn't or, you know, they make games harder on themselves than they really need to. So, I mean, that's your second tier in the East. And then I guess I put Cleveland by itself. Tier three. Now, uh, with Brooklyn, like I said, depending when Simmons comes back, because I remember saying this, I think I said this on Twitter like last week, that if Simmons' real problem was being in Philly, why has he not played since getting traded? That was one. Then two was maybe he's going to wait until the game back in Philly because that would be a big step for him mentally and for the Brooklyn you know, fans and players. If he picks that game to come back, plays well, I think he can probably get past a mental block of the whole Philly situation. Well, we've already learned he's not playing Thursday, so that's a miss. So now you really got to wonder when, if, he really comes back this year. I, I don't know what's going on there, but it's crazy to me. Um, New York, 
still has their mandate with the vaccine. Something that Kyrie Irving has dealt with all year. That hasn't been lifted, so that means he can only play on the road. And if they do ultimately end up in the play-in, um, Toronto is in the play-in as well. So if Brooklyn had to play Toronto in Toronto, Kyrie can't play that game either because Canada has their own mandates. So that, not to say that, you know, Durant, Anna Simmons, with the other parts they have, couldn't make it out of the plan. Because, like I said, uh, Toronto, like I watched Toronto play against Cleveland. Uh, what was that? Because it was like four games on TV Sunday. So I think that might have been the third game of the day. And Toronto has some serious shortcomings. Uh, I know Van Vliet didn't play. OG Ananobi's been out for a couple of weeks now. But this is a team a couple of years ago where people were talking about how Siakam could be a better talent than I think it was Jalen Brown at that point. And I thought people were crazy to say that because with Jalen Brown, you know, you saw steady improvement in his game. Siakam, you kind of know what he is. He's a right-hand dominant player, still is. Perimeter-wise, he's not that good. You want him shooting from out there, still the same. And he kind of has one move going to the hoop. He takes like three dribbles to the right, does a spin move to his left for a layup. You stop that, you stop him. So I'm not that worried about Toronto. Uh, Charlotte is a team that's been was wildly overrated like a few teams down at the bottom of the east um, you know people will tell you well they haven't been healthy all year well who, who's been who's missed a lot of time for them Gordon Hayward well Gordon Hayward's missed a lot of time for a lot of people the past couple of years so if you're a Charlotte fan that's something you should expect not be surprised by but, you know, Charlotte has some good young talent. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're, they're not a team that couldn't put it together, you know, make it out of the play-in tournament. I'm not saying that at all. You know, uh, Bridges, Washington, Rozier, you get him on a good day. We've seen him in some big spots really disappear. Uh, look at last year's play-in tournament. I think, I think Charlotte went up against... At least Washington, maybe. I think the winner of that game would have gone against Boston. And I think Rozier went like 0 for 10 from the field or something like that. So, you know, he has to get past that. You know, they have ball. So, they're a team that, you know, like I said, could get out of the plan. Probably be the eighth seed. And then lose to a better team in the first round. Uh, Brooklyn, like I said, just talked about them. And then you have Atlanta. So, Atlanta, you know, coming out of last year, a lot of hype behind them. I did not buy it. Because the narrative, I mean, one of the narratives since, you know, moving to the Atlanta area, 
they can overrate their teens by a mile, and they did that with this Hawks team. The Hawks team is just not that good. Last year's run was a fluke. You know, they, they're a team that, if you look at on paper, looks like a good group because you recognize some of the names. Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Capella, Trey Young, Lou Williams. But you put them on the court, it's it, there's a lot missing. John Collins, you know, uh, biggest problem defensively, they're not that good. Um, like one-on-one perimeter defense, you can pretty much get by anybody they throw at you, especially Trey Young, who I mean. He's one of the worst defensive guards I've seen in the league. And I get he's a smaller guy, but the least he could do is at least try a little on defense. Most nights, that's a big ask. He still takes way too many logo threes for me. He's not that good at them. He'll hit a couple here and there, but yeah, I don't need him taking as many as he does. Uh, he he doesn't do enough playmaking for me. That may sound crazy because if you look at his numbers, his assist numbers are probably decent. But just watching the games, you see several instances where he tries to do too much and it gets them in trouble. Um, so, yeah. So, like, currently the plan would be Toronto versus Charlotte. For the battle of the seventh seed, loser of that getting the winner of Brooklyn Atlanta for the eighth seed. So I would probably put my money on Brooklyn ultimately winning the play in, I guess. Well, at this point, I guess Brooklyn could only be the eighth seed or out. So I would say Brooklyn would be the eighth seed. And then. I would probably go Hornets for the seven seed. I think Toronto's going to miss the playoffs. Now, if Van Vliet and, and Ananobi can come back, I might change my mind, and I'd probably say the Raptors would beat the Hornets in that first one, get the seven seed, and then Brooklyn beat Charlotte for the eight seed. I don't see the Atlanta beating Brooklyn. Well, I guess. Well, no, I, I still wouldn't see it because... I would assume by then Simmons is in the mix somehow. So if the game's in Brooklyn and Kyrie can't play, Durant and Simmons will probably be enough against that Atlanta team to beat them. So, so like I said, watching that game did bring out another interesting thought for me was that with all this, Brooklyn could end up as an eight seed and then a team like Miami or Philly, their reward for being the one seed could be facing a Brooklyn team, which by then, maybe the mandate's gone and you have to deal with Durant, Kyrie, Simmons. Issue there is, depending when Simmons comes back, depending on when the mandate's lifted, because we've seen Kyrie as a part-time player have some real ups and downs in the season. Um, Those three have to build some type of chemistry on the court 
what I think does help is the fact that Simmons is not a you know ball dominant player that's going to put up a lot of points. His job's going to be grab rebounds, push the break, feed Durant and Kyrie. I mean, he can you would hope he'd be able to do that. You know, just coming in cold off the street after all this time. Well, well we'd have to see that on the court. So, of course, as we get to the end of the year, you know, I'll try to figure out this whole East. Like I said, it's 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 been an exciting year in the East. And I think, like I said, the players are just going to be that much more exciting because you could you could put scenarios in your mind to have anybody probably at least six teams in the East come out of the East. The biggest thing is going to be the uh, playoff matchups. You know, who can avoid what teams and that's going to tell you all you need to know. Because once again, looking at it as a Celtics fan, not scared of Miami, but know that they're tough. Um, Boston and Philly have had some battles in the playoffs and Boston seems to be one of those teams in the East that can play and be better than others. So I wouldn't mind seeing Philly. Um, I would probably take Philly in the second round. Uh, Chicago, Cleveland, if Boston can get one of them in the first round, I would be okay with that. I would feel confident in that. Milwaukee's a team I think I'd want to avoid until the Eastern Conference Finals. In Brooklyn, probably, like I said, they get those three guys back. But, um, yeah, so my main thing was, you know, for those who doubted the Celtics run, the game Sunday told you all you need to know because something has definitely clicked in this team. You know, Marcus Smart is playing the point guard position that I think Ime and Brad Stevens have empowered him to be this year. And we saw that when they moved out Kemba Walker and Smart has taken on the role and he's played it as well as you could have asked him to. Um, like I said, Tatum and Brown have you know embraced um, their playmaking abilities. They trust the guys on the floor with them more, which has taken them to another level. We've seen Grant Williams, you know, what shoot over forty percent from three, and the the two of them are not afraid to throw it to him in the corner, and have full faith that he'll be able to knock down an open three. Uh, we have Rob Williams, who's you know, has been available more often this year. And he's really coming to his own uh, defensively, you know, setting screens, rolling to the hoop, cleaning up on the offensive glass. Uh, there is some room for improvement with him. You know, hopefully it's probably a little late in the game and this year to do it, but next year develop like an elbow jumper, something like that. And I think that would unlock even more for this team. Horford has turned back the clock and is playing, you know, better than he has in a couple of years. Um, you know with him, you know what you're going to get. 12, 14 points, 8, 9 rebounds, you know, 
three, four assists, a block or two. You, you know what you're getting. You can run your offense through him because he's a great passer. He's a great decision maker. And um, uh, let's see. Hey, yeah, so Ime, his message has gone through. And now you have to make a – you can make an argument for him being in the coach of the year, this um, conversation. And if it's by some wild way, you know, Boston becomes the one seed in the East. I mean, they're five games out. Maybe if they're like a top three team in the East, would you be surprised that they gave it to him? probably would because I would assume at this point um, what's his name? Taylor Jenkins with Memphis probably has it on lock right now but but you never know crazier things have happened um, but yeah so uh, Brad Stevens you know trade deadline moved out some guys that clearly he didn't want to have on this team anymore brought in Derek White who is a is a guy who's a playmaker you know when you pass on the ball he makes a quick decision he either takes a jump shot drives to the hoop or he moves the ball and that's something that Ime has preached with this team and they're getting much better at it and now you're seeing the elevated level of play um I guess one last thing about the game from Sunday. It was just good to see, you know, Boston crowd. Sunday afternoon, I mean, that atmosphere was playoff level. And yes, I'm biased because, you know, Boston, all that. But there's few arenas in the the NBA that come playoff time, if it's rocking, are better than Boston's arena. I mean, yes, Madison Square Garden is its own thing when the Knicks are good. Hasn't been like that in a while, but, you know, Madison Square Garden is one of those arenas. Um, I almost call it Stable Center. Uh, it's Crypto.com Arena in LA is one of those arenas. Um, Golden State was it is this still Oracle Arena I can't remember but Golden State one of those arenas yeah one of those upper echelon arenas where the crowd is fully into it and you can just feel it like watching it on TV Boston's right up there and saw that on Sunday so I think I said at the beginning of this episode, I was going to talk like East and West. I kind of talked mostly East in this episode. So I think what I'll do is I'll give some of my Western Conference thoughts next episode. Because I did watch some Western Conference games Sunday as well. So um, definitely tune in for that. But um, hopefully, hopefully you like this episode. No, it ran a little bit long, but yeah. It's been a while since I've talked to you guys, so went a little bit extra this time. Um, but um, uh, you can let me know as well what you think about the East. 
Uh, who are you picking to come out from the East? Where do you put Jason Tatum? Like I said, for me, I would put him top 10 because, like I said, I ran through like 12 guys who you could make arguments for in the top 10. And I think Tatum is better than Young. Well, Trey Young, better than uh, Kyrie Irving. A lot of that's because of the baggage that Kyrie brings with him. So, like I said, I think you can make the argument for Tatum as like 9-10 in the league. That's a comfortable argument. You want to push him past that? Might be a tougher sell, but I wouldn't be too mad at it. So, I think Tatum's top 10. You let me know what you think. Um, um, let me see what else. You can let me know what you think about Brooklyn. Um, are you sold on them? Do you think that their season might be toast? They're a game under 500, which most people probably wouldn't have thought they would have been, but that's where they are right now. Uh, they do have 17 games left to try to make up five and a half games to get out of the play-in. That's a lot to ask, but like I said, crazier things have happened. So let me know what you think about them or whatever about the Eastern Conference. You know, if you want to go homer for your team, let me know what you like about your team, what scares you about your team. Um, what team do you want to f- want your team to face in the first round? What team do you want to avoid? It's all completely open to you guys what you want to talk about so let me know comments review if you follow me on twitter at chomping podcast let me know there and um i'll definitely reply back to you so uh thanks for tuning in like i said hopefully you enjoyed the episode if you did you know what to do subscribe follow like share it with you know a friend family member whatever Help me out. Try to grow the community, bring in more listeners. But um, but yeah, so as I say, be safe out there. Uh, God bless. I'll catch you next episode. All right, I'm out. Have a good one.